And we turn to Hebrews chapter 6 as we do continue to see what the Holy Spirit has given us in His Word in the book of Hebrews. And so that we can have a contextual understanding, we're going to back up to chapter 5, verse 11, and we'll read through verse 12. So let's pray. Father God, we do again thank you for your word. We pray that we would recognize more and more that without it we're lost. We can, we'd be able to see that the heavens indeed declare the glory of God, declare your glory, but we'd never be able to know about Jesus Christ. We'd never be able to know about not only our need. We may recognize our need for repentance, but have no idea where to turn for it, for forgiveness. So we thank you for your written word. We pray that you would use us during a time of revival. You would continue to revive our souls, but you would also continue to use us to bring people to the light. Lord, that when we see even the word woke being used, Lord, that that was not a great awakening. It was a great awakening. That that we would be awakened from our slumber, from our sin. That we'd see people brought from death to life by the gospel. And we'd take this seriously. And not just another cause that we have somewhere on the list of things that we care about. But this would be the overarching cause of all things for which we would sacrifice every other cause and every other thing that for the cause of Christ we'd give our lives give us that kind of faith we fear what it might take for us to get there but do it anyway we just prayed it that your kingdom would come that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hear us now as we read your word and, and speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Make us focus intently on what you are saying to us. And I pray that the things I say would be only things that you would have us to hear. And that would be from your word. And I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, the word of the Lord. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. For you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, 
since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of the Lord. So as we go through the book of Hebrews, one of the things we have to remember and we, we keep in mind is the things that have been said up to this point, too. Don't just take a line and pull it out and, and just think on it alone. Um, there are verses that we can meditate on, but if you want to have proper understanding of these things, you have to have it all in this context. And one of the things that I see um, is I, you know, you, you, we all look at the world through different um, lenses. And, you know, you, all, you have families, we're at different ages, different stages. We have different jobs that we do. We have different uh, responsibilities that we have to tell certain other people the truth about different things. We're all in different areas of life. And so we all are getting different perspectives on things, and it should all be a biblical perspective. And so one of the things from my perspective that I see that I'm concerned about, and maybe many of you are concerned about, or I think that we should be concerned about during this time, is spiritual apathy. I think it can be very apparent that as churches close down, for right or wrong reasons, as um, people begin to watch, it's, I mean, some people watch this online that never been to church before. Hallelujah, amen. Let's keep doing that. Um, some people are elderly, you know, hopefully in 20 years or 30 or 40 years to some of us or five years to some of us. When we're elderly, we'll know how to operate a phone and we can watch it on at home or something. But that it would never be an excuse not to come. That it would never be a substitute for this. But I'm afraid that many people are going to be spiritually apathetic. And then there's an ideological possession that's in our world today. And, and what do I mean by an ideological possession? Well, you know what a possession is. If somebody's possessed by a demon, it's like, you know, they're, you know, you picture it. You're possessed by something. Something that's taken you over, it's just kind of controlling you. Well, some people have been possessed by an, ideolo ideology, an, an, an ideology. And we should all be somewhat possessed by an ideology. Ideology, there's the word I'm looking for. Ideology. Um, and ideology is, it comes from the word, you know, basically where we get the word idea and then we get the word science. But it's this idea has captured a person and a group so that it becomes this thing that makes it bigger than the whole even. So an ideological possession is like a demonic possession. If the ideology is from demons, then we see a demonic possession. 
So if people are possessed ideologically and it's not from Christ, then it is demonic, it is evil, and it is sinful. So we see an ideological possession as taking over this world. And it is a lie. And the only way to defeat it is with the truth. But even the truth will not dispel the lie if the Holy Spirit is not operative in it. So we must have faith in it and we must be praying that the truth will be seen. Then we have to check our own ideological possessions. What ideologies apart from the gospel do we have that change the way we even look at the gospel? That change the way we interact with people in the world? And make no mistake about it. As we read in Hebrews chapter 6, there are powers at work in this world that are very manipulative. I hear people talk about Q. I don't know if you've seen that yet. But you know, or the, what's that other one? The, uh, the thinking people behind everything that you know is out there. And it's just a, what's that group of people? Seth talks about them all the time. What? The Illuminati. That's it. That's what I was looking for. Shh. Gosh, I shouldn't say that loud. Now, like here, it's all digital. We're going to be shut down. And, um, but, you know, there's all these things. There's, it, it's this thought, this feeling that people have that there's something behind all this. George Soros, you know, is something behind all this. Now, if George Soros, I, who knows? I don't even want to know what I would do with that much money. So, you know, if George Soros is behind all this, there's something behind George Soros, Okay. If it's the Illuminati, there's something behind the Illuminati. If it's this Q thing, it's something behind this Q. If it's evil government, it's something behind this evil government. There are powerful spiritual forces at work, and the only way to dispel them is with the gospel, and the only way to defend yourself from them is with spiritual armor. You can fight this spiritual battle. What's that saying? You show up for a gunfight with a knife. You know, but at least you have a knife in that case. But if you're showing up for spiritual warfare with the world, the weapons of this world, I think I've used the analogy before, it's like trying to jump in the pool to dry off. It's not going to happen. You're just going to make things worse. Throwing water on a grease fire is not going to make things better. So you must figure out how to discern the difference from the truth and a lie, discern the difference between good and evil, and not have an ideological possession outside of Christ that's informing all these things. Because those ideological possessions are, the worldly ones are inspired by demons. It's, I mean, if you don't believe that, if you don't buy into it, you're just using Christianity as a nice little philosophy to help you get through life. Because you can't say you believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the angels, and not believe in de demons, and not believe in the demonic influences we have, and not believe the things that Paul writes about over and over again, saying our battle is not even against flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities. That's where the battle lies. So, Hebrews is talking to us and to the little church probably he spoke of at the beginning, a Jewish group of Christians who have been kicked out of the synagogues and have found themselves on the wrong side of the state. And this letter comes to them, and he's talking about bearing up under trials. And so this is what we have to do. How do we bear up under trials? And there's all sorts of trials. There's persecution, illness, abandonment, unrest in the world, job loss, on and on and on and on and on, we could list all of the trials 
that we may be under. And so far in Hebrews, we've been told a few things about how to deal with these things. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to ask you to try to keep up with this, but I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And Well, let's look at that real quick, because this is our foundation, because he begins his letter as he's talking to a persecuted group of Christians with the excellency of who Christ is. And the whole letter is about the excellency of who Christ is. The whole content of our gospel is the excellency of who Christ is. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is our Jesus. This is our Christ whom we worship. And in chapter 2, he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to this. Now, listen to what the writer keeps saying to this group and to us. You have to pay much closer attention to that lest we drift away. You have to pay much closer attention lest we drift away. Every transgression or disobedience will receive a just retribution. Chapter 2, verse 2. It's something we had that he wants us to remember. Verse 3, how are we supposed to escape if we neglect such a great salvation. And that he is able to help those who are being tempted. You hear the balance that continues to take place. You better pay much closer attention or you're going to drift away. But he's able to help those who are being tempted. Then he says, chapter 3, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, listen to that. And that's chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. And that covers women, too. These believers who who are people who have knitted themselves together under the covenant of God. You take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So, it's interesting that a, somebody can be called a brother and yet be said to have an evil, unbelieving heart. Because if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, you're not really a member of the true church. You're not a member of the invisible church. You're not regenerate. So apparently, we get this understanding from the writer of Hebrews here that it is possible to be called a brother or sister, to be a part of the visible church, to partake of, and we're going to see all this later, you partake of the Lord's Supper. You can do all the things you're supposed to do. Listen, uh, be baptized, all these things. And yet, if there is an evil, unbelieving heart, and that's what you've got to look at, your heart. If there is in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, and what will that do? Lead you to fall away. Adam and Eve in the garden. And this is one of these debates I have with people from time to time. Had they not eaten of the fruit of the tree... Well, no, this is the debate. When did they sin? Before or after the eating? I would say, well, certainly not after. It would be in the the act of eating. So did they sin before that, though? Because surely their hearts had strayed away from God, and there was sin in all of that. And then an additional sin that killed them was the eating of the tree. And my contention is, 
there was only one thing you could do to sin. There was only one sin. Sin is law. And the only law there was was don't eat of the tree. So technically, their hearts could have gone away from God. They could have done all kinds of things. They could have been kicking monkeys and all kinds of stuff just to entertain themselves, acting in sinful ways, and just stayed away from the tree, and everything would have been okay. But the problem with that is when your heart turns away from God, it is drawn like a magnet to the things that God says no about. There was no way Adam's heart was going to turn from God and he not eat from the tree. It was not possible that he would disobey God and not eat from the tree. So my opinion, and I think it's an accurate opinion, is... The sin, we even say it in the catechism, what was the sin of our first parents? Eating from the tree. But it was their hearts that had begun to turn. And when the serpent worked on that, he works on Eve first. And then that works on Adam. And then he eats. And the same thing can happen to us. If we have an evil, unbelieving heart, it will lead us to fall away. Verse 13, chapter 3. But exhort everyone every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this is what the church is for. You encourage one another. You exhort one another so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So you can be a believer and have your heart hardened in some way by the deceitfulness of sin. We see it happen a lot. And we don't know in somebody's heart whether they're true believers or not. You can only go by the fruit, but a lot of people can fake that kind of thing too. So you really have to just be in your own heart. But that we do encourage and exhort one another. So if we see people who are beginning through the deceitfulness of sin, and, and we've got to be careful what we think that means. And it just means anything leading you away from God, anything that's happening in your life, any trial or something that's happening and making you anger with God, questioning God, um, pulling for other things to help me take care of this. It's interesting in, in Haiti, and I know I'd probably talk about that as much as I used to talk about Taekwondo, but it's just the, 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 dra the stark contrast between light and darkness is very stark there, and here it gets all blurry. But the concern there is, I'm a believer and my life is hard in a way that we can't even begin to articulate. My life is hard. I can do two things. I can go to a voodoo priest. I can give him some money, and he can talk to a demon, and he can fix some of this. Or I can pick up my voodoo practice and make some money and so my children don't starve. You see, that's a, a difficult thing. And then what they do is... They encourage one another. You can't do that. You know better than that. For us, it's drugs. I mean, that's the scourge we see. You know, I need this. I sell that. I got to do this, whatever it is. But we all have idols that we return to. And if we aren't careful through the deceitfulness of sin, it will cause us to become hardened. But if any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart, it will cause you to fall away. In chapter 3, verse 15, don't harden your heart. And in verse 19, those who were not allowed to enter the promised land after coming out of Egypt, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. 
It's called disobedience, and he says this, it's unbelief. So unbelief causes disobedience. And then you can't even enter because of unbelief. Belief is the necessary ingredient for our salvation because it's the faith of ours is in Christ. Chapter 4, your hearing must be united by faith. We hear these things, but are you uniting what you're hearing by faith? And then in verse 7, again, do not harden your hearts. In verse 11, chapter 4, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall. So there's, again, this balance. And I think a lot of times in the Christian faith, what we do is, you know, we, you got saved and that's good. You got saved, you got in. Now go about your life. You got your get out of hell free card. Now move along, move along. And instead, what the Bible continually calls us to is not whether we should fear losing our salvation, but we should fear whether or not we have any faith to begin with. Continue to walk in the faith and strengthen your faith. Because what he's talking about here, moving to maturity, and we're going to look at that in just a second, doesn't have to do with how much more doctrine you learn, but how much you're putting it into practice. Are you using this stuff and you're able to discern the difference between good and evil? Because if you know all sorts of information, and you know all kinds of things about the Bible, but man, you just fall at every little temptation of Satan or every trick, and you can't tell the difference between the truth and a lie, then you're going to fall. And again, I did screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, just read the preface to it as he talks about listening to Hitler um, on the radio. And he's like, and you would listen and it would sound good and it would sound right and it would make you think, yeah. He says, but... He knew the truth, and if he hadn't known the truth, he would have fallen for the lies too. So you have to know the truth because the lies that the world tells are very enticing. And they sound right, and they sound good, but you need to have trained yourself to discern good from the right. Because I can tell you this, you can go on Facebook all you want to and tell people this is right and this is good, and they don't have the ability to discern it. I've already put many people asleep. It's so good. You know what? I never thought about this. It's like having the, what do you call that? The Vulcan pinch? What do you call that? you got to know that, Sean. It's not called the neck pinch. I think you're off on that. Is that right? <laughs> so he does that thing. Yeah. So I do that to lots of people on Facebook. The 30-day snooze. Click, 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 click. So on one hand, I only hear the things that I want to hear. Yes, because I don't go to Facebook to get the truth. I don't know why I go to Facebook. I go to Facebook. It's funny. It's where I get a lot of my news from. So there's another thing called Parler or Parlay. Um, I'm, I'm all about trying to get off the Facebook now. It's, um, if, if, when, when I first went on the Internet back in caveman days, uh, there was this thing called chat rooms. And I, and I was young. I don't remember how old. I was in college maybe. And you go into a chat room and you just start talking about stuff. So I'd start talking about God, talking about stuff. And somebody came on there. You don't know who these people are. It's just lines of text. And somebody said, it says, I don't know who you are, but you sound like you're 12. And I was like, oh. And that thing got me. And I was saying, I was like, wow, do I sound like I'm 12? I don't want to sound like I'm 12. Do I sound like I'm 12? What am I doing? I can't even communicate my thoughts well. So I sound like I'm 12. And then I thought, I remember thinking this early on. It's like, man, if I were a demon, <laughs> I think we call these people trolls, but we should call them demons probably. If I were a demon, I'd get on, I'd get on the computer and I'd type in all kinds of lines of people. I'd like, here's a lie. I got you that time. And you're listening to me. So you be careful with these kind of things. You know, you have to be, these, this stuff is, uh, the, the problem with Facebook is you don't get, it's, it's, it's the opposite of FaceTime. You don't get to even 
see the person. You don't get to, even when you're doing a video, you don't get to read all the things that communicate with people. And then you don't have the same amount of love where two or more gathered there is love. And that's not the same thing as virtual, as physical, spiritual reality. So we need to be very careful of these things because we can easily fall. And then in 4.15, he says, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So he goes on talking about all these things and don't fall. He's like, but you have a high priest that can sympathize with weaknesses. So right when you feel like you're just about, like, I'm no good, I can't do it, I'm going to, and hopefully you get to that point at some time in your life, and then he's like, yeah, but you have a high priest that can sympathize with your weaknesses. And then with confidence, you can draw near to the throne of grace. Throne of grace. It's not a throne of you know, bow down before me and I will kill you. You know how the kings and queens used to do, off with your head. You know, it's not that sort of thing. It's like, it's a throne of grace that we can find grace to help in a time of need. And in five, chapter 5, verse 2, we have a high priest who can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. And then we get to chapter 6, and we have to take all these things into the right context. As we've heard the two things so that the way we persevere in our faith, because we do believe that once you're saved, there's perseverance, but it's a, it's a fight, it's a battle. Paul calls it a race, calls, he calls it a fight. Finish the good fight. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. One of the ways God perseveres our faith is to call us to perseverance and to warn us as to what would happen if we were to fall. So he calls us to this because without that calling and without these warnings, maybe we don't have so much perseverance after all. So we have to listen as the writer of Hebrews even is, is calling us to do, to, to not believe for a second that the Christian life is supposed to be easy and not to forget that the majesty of Christ, of what the majesty of Christ is, and to remember he is tender with the weak and then don't allow your failures in the faith to make you think he's rejecting you or can never use you again. Don't allow your hardships and struggles with your faith to make you give up on him and to turn your back on him because he sits on a throne of grace and he sympathizes with our weaknesses. So don't give up. Pick up your cross and bear it and follow. There's much suffering in the world. And a lot of it is unjust. Jesus suffered unjustly. The just for the unjust. It's hard. And it can even seem unbearable at times. And he gets it. It's the amazing thing. He gets it in a way that it's not just God and he understands everything, but came, entered into and gets it. That's also why we need other Christians around us to help us to be encouraged. I was listening to 
Jordan Peterson again a little bit, and some of this is, is what he would say, and I think he's right on these things, because there is suffering and injustice in the world. So he says, you know, so what are you going to do about it? I had somebody ask me that online, early on in all this stuff, when George Floyd was, um, was killed by a police officer, and um, people started rioting. And I had some of my college students, they aren't college students anymore, but people I've got to know who are younger from college night, and they were putting stuff on Facebook suggesting that this is good, suggesting that this needs to happen, this being the, um, the rioting and the destruction of property and that sort of thing, and, 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 and particularly the looting that was taking place. And I was like, no, that's not good. Well, maybe it is. So I, they said, so what do you, and they came down to, what about, so George Floyd happened. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I'm like, what am I going to do about murder? What is that what you're asking me, actually, is what am I going to do about murder? I can promise you I'm not going to Walmart and steal me a widescreen TV to put in my house. This is not what I will be doing. I will not be using the devil's tools to bring about God's righteousness. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You've got a bunch of unbelieving people running around out there, and this is what you get. It's the church's fault. We should be more active in the gospel, sharing it, being a light, standing up for truth. It's easy to give in to fleshly emotion. Anybody can do that. We excuse ourselves for it. What do we say? I'm sorry, I was just venting. No, you weren't. You kicked the cat halfway across the room. You know? Maybe you kicked your wife halfway across the room. Maybe you abused drugs. Maybe you're hurting your family. Maybe you're hurting everybody around you. Maybe you're making the world a little bit worse by the way you respond to things. And so how about let's not do that? How about let's just try to be a little bit better? But, you know, in the Christian life, we've even bought the lie. It's like, we're not supposed to try to be better. You can't try to be better. That's work. It is work. Get to it. That's what he's saying. Follow Christ. Bear your cross, your unjust suffering. Yes. Pick it up. Keep going. Keep going. Don't let an evil, unbelieving heart grab you and cause you to fall away. We can vent our anger and scream out for vengeance, and we can even join a mob that will allow us to be as horrible as we can possibly imagine and suffer none of the consequences. And that's a bad idea. How about let's not do that either? And what you hear on the news, what I heard on the news from certain people who speak supposed truth to the masses is that this is a good thing that's happening. This being the rioting, the looting, the burning, that no change in this country has ever happened apart from lawlessness. It's a lie from the pit of hell. We've had many good things happen in this country that have taken place because the truth has advanced forward, because the gospel has gone forth, because the church makes a difference. Now, if you start looking at the church for sin, then look no further than your pew. And it's even better if you're the only one in it because then you get the point. 
You're the problem. You can be the problem. Don't think you're the solution. You're God's promised solution to all of this. You're as much of the problem as anybody else. So be careful that you think of people as more important than yourself, that you're slow to speak. Now, I struggle with that because I'm a pastor. And we all struggle with this because we see injustice and what are we supposed to do? I don't mean to do the Nancy Pelosi thing. What are we supposed to do? What are you going to do about it? Don't join the mob, whether it be the Facebook mob or the rioting mob or whatever. It doesn't mean you can't get together if you need to, you're, you're doing a protest of some sort. You feel like you want to do that in a group, then by all means, even our Constitution allows for the right to peacefully assemble and do this kind of thing. The First Amendment, the ability to be able to speak truth and all truth that you see fit. It concerns me that we have people who are stopping speech and compelling speech at the same time because my speech and our speech should be compelled by the Holy Spirit and it is going to be contrary to this wor world. I can dang sure promise you that. And you're going to come and there, if things continue on its current trajectory, they're going to come for us. Amen, let them come. And then how are we going to be found? With guns in our hands, ready to shoot and kill and steal and destroy and loot and everything? How about let's not do that either? Just speak. The example from the past is when the powers of darkness take over any institutions, they start to kill people. They start to stop speech. They start to say, you will not speak any truth but my truth, and no other truth is allowed because you're harming people. And then here's the church with a counter message. And when you look at other countries, that's why they stop Christianity. Because there are powers behind the powers that know even in the mustard seed leavening in a country like China, the gospel. I'd not be surprised if we had time machine jump 100 years in the future. China is the new bastion of Christianity. And the United States is worshiping demons and gone to hell in a handbasket, literally. And that we're no longer first world. Because we've abandoned the things of God. And not even that sometimes. We just, we, we, we don't, we're self-focused. And we have to be careful. And the Holy Spirit warns us to perseverance. He uses these words to tell us to pay much closer attention as he disciplines us. And we have to remember Peter, even as, because the concern here is about those who've fallen away and you can't restore them again. And we think about children. Okay, what about our children? Some of them have left. Have they fallen away and they can't be restored again? Or what about me? I've fallen away. Can I not be restored again? You know, who, who are we talking about here? And what he's talking about, and this is what I think you kind of have to get, and I'll talk about that in a second, but here's what you've got to get. He's talking about you. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about you. You better be careful because if you fall away, and when he's talking specifically, where are these people going to go when they fall away? Back to the synagogue. Back to Judaism. Back to Christ is not the answer. It is my religion that was the answer. I reject Christ because things are getting too hard here. And the whole thing he's saying throughout Hebrews is don't do that. It's going to be hard. Follow him. 
You need to pay much closer attention because the darkness is enclosing. And if your battery is running out, you know, you get a flashlight in the dark and it, it, you, can't, you need a good, strong, powerful flashlight and the Holy Spirit is saying, then pay closer attention. Your eyes need to adjust so you can see the light that is there. And then be this light. And we have to be careful about falling away. And what he says is pretty clear. He says, keeping us all in context, that um, verse 3, verse 4, for it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now that word shared in the Holy Spirit, does it, it's, it's a partnering. It's not the word koinonia. It's debated as whether that means is this a person that actually possesses the Holy Spirit? Is this a person that's been regenerated? And, and I would say obviously it's not because later he says, I have um, verse 9 that we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we're sure of better things, things that accompany salvation. So in some way when we take communion, when we have baptism, when we hear the preaching of the word, we have people pray for us, over us, with us, you are participating, partnering in the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you reject it. You reject Christ and you fall away because of what? An unbelieving heart, an evil, unbelieving heart. This is a person that's been in church, a person that has rejected past sins and has been subjected to great persecution even because of the faith and yet when the times got hard and they're called into some level of obedience then it comes out it's like you haven't been a believer at all and you've rejected and you've fallen away and how are we going to restore that person he's rejected the message of christ there's no other message and i believe the holy spirit can do anything like that but a believer is being called to faith here Otherwise, he wouldn't say, and I'm sure better things for you guys, things that accompany salvation. Now, think about it. Cling to your salvation. Cling to your faith. So you got to remember Peter, he denied Christ three times, restored. Hallelujah. I don't even know the man, he said. But he has a high priest who's sympathetic with it. He gets it. He's able to deal gently with him because he recognized this person of faith <laughs> rejected me before man. And was restored. That gives us hope. And we have the son that hated his father and living at home so much he wished his father was dead so he can go ahead and get his inheritance. And he says, give me my inheritance now. And he gives it to him and he takes off and he runs off into the far country and he spends all his money on recklessness and, and, uh, and women and, and drugs and alcohol and everything and is gone. He's eating with the pigs and he wakes up and comes to his senses, which is what we pray for many of our family members, come to their senses and realize, I can at least go home and my father will give me a job. So he turns around, he's got at least some understanding that the father probably, maybe I'll beg him, I'll tell him I'm sorry. And so he gets there, and the father is where? Scanning the horizon. Where's my son? Where's my son? And he runs to him. He doesn't say, all right, let me hear it. Tell me, explain to me how you're not going to do this again. Let me get your plan. This is a son. Now, this isn't talking about children that we have that are having problems and they need to figure out a plan and they need to figure out how to work things. This is your son was dead, gone. And he pops back up. He's alive. Killed a fatted calf. And then the elder brother, who didn't love the father either, he just wants to get the father's stuff too, but through obedience. I'm a good son. I'm going to. Why was he out there after the younger brother? He's the one that's supposed to be out there looking for him anyway. All he is is upset that his stuff got taken. 
And now he's coming back, going to get more of his stuff. And the father goes to him and says, come in and eat with us. Your brother's alive. And we don't hear that because that's Jesus' message to the Pharisees. You got people coming back. You have people that had rejected God and they're coming back home. They're alive again. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to reject them too? Are you going to say, I don't want them? Because you don't want the father either. One son tried to get the father by just doing whatever he wanted to do. And the other son wanted to get the father's stuff by just being good, obedient. And so, you know, do you want the father's stuff or do you want the father? If we want the father, then cling more closely to it. But the father runs to the prodigal. So the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel is a message of forgiveness. The gospel is a message of all these things. The gospel is a message of grace. Well, be careful. Don't use your newfound grace as a thinly veiled excuse for sin. Don't reject Christ thinking he'll just be okay with it. Because there's a whole bunch of people that got rescued from Egypt and were taken all the way through the desert and they got right to the promised land. He said, now go fight. And they said, we can't do it. Because they didn't have faith. You can be rescued from lots of things and not have faith. And when it comes down to it, you can't enter that rest because of no faith. Faith is the thing. <laughs> the most invaluable thing you have is faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We let people know these things. So don't get stuck and the last thing he says here at the beginning, he's saying, don't get stuck in a simplistic faith. Our faith is a simple one. It's so simple a child can grasp it, but we need to grow in our understanding and in our relationship to God. 5.14, he says, we have to have our powers of discernment trained. And he says, verse 14, solid foods is, but solid foods for the mature. And who are the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained. But then you have this leaving the elementary doctrines. He doesn't mean forget it. Elementary doctrine. Apparently this is a catechism of sort. And these are things you have to know about Christ and who he is. About And the word for washings is baptisms. And what did all this Old Testament stuff mean? And laying on the hands, the calling of God, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I mean, if you think those are things you move away from then you're wrong, but you have to have an outworking of your faith. You've got to move past that to, from simple orthodoxy, which means right teaching, to orthopraxis, which is right practice. So you've got to move from belief to practice, and the only way to do that is practice, training to discern the difference between good and evil. So don't be lazy, he tells us. Hold fast to hope. Cling closely to Christ. Put your faith to work. Or else don't be so certain that you won't drift away. Devils and men and your own heart can be deceitfully wicked. The lie can be deceptively beautiful. Especially when a part of us desires to believe the lie. And the only way to defeat the darkness is with light. And in the same way, the only way to defeat the lie is with the truth. And the truth will set you free. And with truth on your side, it's so much easier to bear up. And Christ is truth. He is on our side. So stand in the power of his might. Because for him and through him and to him is everything. And surely to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you as we come to your table. 
as you remind us that we have to have you, as you remind us that apart from you we are nothing, as you remind us that, that we have a, a commissioning from you, that we're told to accomplish something in this world. And the main commission of the church is to make Christ followers out of the whole world, teaching and baptizing, bringing people into the church, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded. Help us to observe all that you have commanded. Give us hope, but give us a kick in the pants too so that we know that you're sympathetic with us. We know that you deal easily. That's why you call us to your table. This is the new covenant in your blood. Tell us to do it in remembrance of you. Covenanted remembrance. You love us. You'll never forsake us. We are yours, but we have to have faith. And our faith is evidenced by our works. So help us, Lord, to, to strive to enter that rest, to strive to know what is true and what is the lie. Help us, God, to be burdened for the lost world, but encouraged by our high priest who is in control of these things and who simply calls us to examine ourselves and then reminds us of how greatly we're loved and that we need that we need you these things are too much for us fill us with your truth and we pray this in Christ's name amen and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Israel tells us as Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth who's having a lot of hard things happening and they're drifting away from the truth they're not loving each other they're 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 battled they're in a division and he says in verse 20 that when you come together it's not even the Lord's Supper that you're eating because in eating one goes ahead with his own meal and the other gets hungry and another gets drunk and do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing so we have to care about those who have nothing and what do you, well, I say to you, shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord where I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, this living covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink the bread, eat the bread, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner may be, will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it won't be for, for judgment. So particularly in verse 32, when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The world will be condemned. Don't follow the world. Jesus says, follow me. And he take your, the bread and the wine, and he says to us, he says, this 
is my body which is for you. And he holds it up, and he, he tells them to hold, hold it up. And look, he says, this is my body which is for you. And he wasn't saying it's literally my body. He says, no, he's like, but you think about this. This is a sacramental union. It's, 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 it's just like it's my body. And, and he is spiritually with us in this meal. And he says, this is my body which is given for you. And he was doing this, talking about his body. He says, this, this is my body. And I'm giving it for you. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me and what I've done. And then I am feeding you with this. And you are proclaiming to the demonic forces, to the worldly forces, that this is my food. This is what I live on. This is the one I need. This is my life. And he says, let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this bread that you've given us. And when you served it, and you serve it today, you say, this is your body which is given for us, and we're to do this in remembrance of you. So, Father God, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence, even in this. Amen. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he picked up his cup with wine in it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup. He's, they didn't know yet. And he's going, he knows, he's, this is the last night. He's going and he will be sacrificed. He says, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And let's pray. Father God, I, I wish we understood more about this. But Lord, we do thank you that you give it to us like a children's sermon. And what's very clear is you give yourself to us. And we need you. And we have to eat. And we have to drink. And you fill us with good things. Things that we need things that we desire. Help us to desire only you. And we thank you that you give us our daily bread and that you forgive us of our sins. Help us to go and spread this word, to live in this light, and to live in this truth. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.